Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hey. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with Good Thing. Craig, what's good this week? Hey, hey. Can Bloodstain still be my good thing? Man, that game's so good. I've actually been I, wanting to replay it. I don't see why not. Um, yeah, I actually haven't played it in the past week, but I've been like... GDQ, I was watching GDQ, so I haven't really been like watching streams or anything, but I do want to, uh, and I'm actually planning on maybe doing a replay, pumping up the difficulty, because there's a nightmare mode where you don't level up, and apparently fun times. Um, otherwise, I recently picked up Mario Maker 2, and I think they did a lot of good things with it. Um, I'm a little frustrated, and that's more because I'm not used to the controls of the new theme that they added, because there is a it's like Mario 3D World or whatever it is. Um, but that gives you Cat Mario and all this other stuff. The point is, you got slopes, you have a ton of new uh, creatures and blocks and things like that. Um, so, pretty good. And I like that there's a story mode. I really like it. And they actually did a great job with the levels that they added. Um, the levels that people are making, not quite there yet. So, I'm hoping as the community really gets into it and starts like playing with the editor, we're going to get better levels. Um, but the Nintendo made ones, the story mode, that's all pretty good. So there you go. I, honestly, the Switch in general is, is a really good console. And I keep thinking about like how many good games are on that console. I'm like, I have a stack. I have not bought that many console games recently until the Switch. And then I keep getting games. And those are the ones I have physically there's also a bunch of digital downloads that I also have on the system. So um, my good thing is all of that. For Mario Maker 1, uh, there was a very specific subset of levels that I really enjoyed, which were single room puzzles. Those oh, were, yeah. Those were okay. a lot of fun. I made a couple that did not go anywhere. No one played them. <laughs> nice. But yeah, those were fun. Uh, so my good thing this week is we got a new kitten. I don't remember if I've mentioned him before on, on the recording or not. Uh, his name is Jeremy Baramy. He's about two months old. He's a little black cat with like brown undertones, which makes him look pretty cool. He's got like little gray undertones around his beard region <laughs> and yellow werewolf eyes. And he completely ignores the other cats when they hiss or growl or swat at him. All nice. he wants to do is play with them. And he's great. And you'll probably hear him behind me talking a few times this episode because he's being very loud right now. He wants to be part of the episode. Also, when he's bad, do you say his full name? Do you actually say Jeremy Baramy? I say his full name all the time. Whether, whether he is good or bad, although he's a kitten, so he is frequently 
yes, good and bad at the same time. <laughs> yep. Uh, but my, like my actual good thing is that he is still very, very clumsy and has no fear of falling, like, at all. He will just throw himself into the air and expect that things are going to turn out okay. So he tries to jump and just just fails a lot and it's great <laughs> he attempted to jump from my end table to the futon which is not like a long jump it's a very short jump that he should have been able to clear easily and he completely whiffed it and just went like face first into the floor three feet down and did not care and it was the best thing it was so good <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine it happening. Uh, so, Tori, what's what's your good thing this week? My good thing is an audiobook called Decluttering at the Speed of Life by Dana White. Uh, because I, I strive to be an organized person, and I'm not. But I strive really hard, and... Um, so I've I've been trying to declutter my house recently, and uh, I listened listen to audiobooks while I do that. And I found this audiobook uh, from the library, uh, which is all about decluttering and cleaning your house. And uh, it's really good. A lot of these cleaning and organizing books, they kind of expect you to have a baseline level of organization already. And I don't have that. But Dana White, she gets me. Like, I, I identify with her so much. And uh, so it's just been um, really educational. I, I, I've found it really helpful in my quest. And how Marie Kondo-y is, is she? Uh, not really. So I, I listened to that audiobook also, uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Um, and... So Marie Kondo talks about keeping things that spark joy. And she's got everything divided into categories. And the first category, oh, sorry, the dogs are growling now. Uh, the first category is clothing, which does not work for me because I don't care about clothes. I basically wear t-shirts and jeans and I don't care. And so when I pull things out of my closet and the question is, does this thing spark joy? Uh, no, it's I, <laughs> I just wear it. And, and shoes don't even get me on shoes because I hate shoe shopping. That's like my ninth circle of hell is shoe shopping. Um, so yeah, Marie Kondo doesn't work for me, but Dana White, she's got what she calls the container concept. Now, Dana White also has her own podcast. It's uh, A Slob Comes Clean. And and so she's from the podcast now has this book out. Um, but she's got what she calls the container concept. Uh when you've got stuff, it goes in a container. And the purpose of the container is not just to hold the stuff, but to decide how much stuff you have. Uh, you, you can't have more stuff than will fit in your container. And so if you have a box in which you're keeping, I don't know, your socks, 
then all of your socks have to fit in that box. But your box has to fit in whatever dresser you keep your socks in. And then your dresser has to fit in your room and your room has to fit in your house. And guess what? Your house is a container and you yep. can't, you can't change the size of your house. You, all you can do is sell it and buy up. And most of us are not going to do that. So you've got to make your stuff fit in your house. And yeah, it, it's mind-blowingly simple. But um so, and, so so I will say going back to your point about clothes. Yeah. Um like I'm I'm the same way. Uh I basically just wear t-shirts and jeans all the time. Like that's my life. And you know, my wife has like different outfits. I'm like, "Man, girl clothes are weird sometimes cuz there's all these different styles and stuff. Like if if you're paying attention to the style of clothes, it can get pretty weird." But I will say that although I don't really care about clothes, I do have some nice T-shirts that I now like. Like ever since I started collecting all these, which is probably dorky of me, printed tees, mostly from like GDQs, but also just that I've seen around. I'm like, I amass a collection. I'm like, you know, these are fun. Like I wear them. People like can remark. They can see my interest. I'm like, those are fun. Like that's a nice one. I do have a Sanderson shirt, which Mike has seen. So, uh, Shout outs to that. So sometimes I guess it could be fun. That's right, but ladies. I've seen Craig and his torso was covered. <laughs> wow. Yep. I bet you're jealous now. Oh, so jealous. But going back to the book, uh, so it's decluttering at the speed of life, and I specifically did the audio version while I was cleaning, which was very motivating. And um it's narrated by the author, and I, I feel like she does an excellent job of giving voice to her words. So there you go. Cool. Uh, so Dave read some chapters this week. Uh, yeah, they, tell us about that, Would they be the Dave. ones you have listed? Are they 40 through 44? Is that correct? I certainly hope so, because that ends the part three. So I assume we're going to 44. Uh, he sent me his bullet points, and I am pulling those up right now. If he only went to 42, then I'm sorry in advance. Yeah, he did go to 44. Yes, nailed it. Awesome. Okay. Now you have to you have to read it like Dave. It has to uh, be perfect inflections. Let's go. I, I will I will endeavor to do my best. And also, if you can hear my dogs chewing on Bones over here, I apologize. As long as Bones isn't the name of a person or other animal in your <laughs> household. <laughs> nope, nope. Literal, <laughs> literal Bones from the butcher shop. So, chapter 40. Kolos is five people and has two blessings of potency. Epigraphs are written by future Ven. Something is controlling the Inquisitors. Penrod Dungoofed. Is Ruin trying to draw Elend away from Fadrix? Why did the Mists break up with Vin? Probably only <laughs> dated her so she could kill Lord Ruler. Wow. So shallow. Those Mists yeah. are so shallow. Uh, so normally at this time... It occurs to me, Dave would also give us a little summary of the chapter, and I am not prepared to do that. <laughs> okay, okay, wait, I got this. Okay. 
not not it's not going to be good because I'm reading the summary from Coppermine. So shout out to the Coppermine wiki. It's very good. Thank so you for citing delve, your source your source this time. Let's delve into our collective Coppermines as we dig through this chapter. So it's a Vin perspective, and there as as Dave has mentioned in this thing, they talk about how uh, inquisitors are made. Wait, what did he say? Did he say Colossus as well? Because they also talk about how Inquisitors are made. Yeah, he said Colossus, and it's in italics, so I assume that's from the epigraph. Oh, right, because he, he was remarking on the epigraph. So in the epigraph, we basically have, it talks about how Colossus are actually made from five people. Uh, you need four spikes. Uh, you spike four people into a fifth, and boom, you got insta Colossus. Um, it's expensive, but... And he says each pair in the epigraph, each pair of spikes grants what the conjurer would call blessing of potency. So there's actually two pairs of potency, not two blessings of potency. It's two pairs of blessing. I mean, but each pair is equivalent to one blessing. So I I think I think the math works out. And it's not that expensive because you don't need alamancers. Right, you could just use any old human. And there's a lot of those, and the Lord Ruler did not care about most of them. It's true. Um, there were a lot of Ska, you just, you know, turn them into Colossus, no problem. But they do also talk about how Inquisitors are made uh, in this chapter. Uh, yeah, you got those, Norden, he the, pops up again, so that's pretty good. Those are hard to replace. So they are worried about Yeoman's forces because they're sort of uh, laying siege against his city because uh, they do want, ideally, they want the the cash that's actually in that city. And Yeoman is not willing to work with Ellen and Kerr. Um But yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of chat about Hemalurgy stuff. Um, let's see. What did he mean when he said Penrod done goofed? That's what I'm trying to read because I don't want to. I don't want to just read the the wiki entry. I'm trying to summarize. Uh, we have a demo talks to Vin and Ellen about the soldiers that were really sick for a long time are ostracized by the group. So we sort of have a splitting of the army here. Um, and then and rather than deal with it, Ellen's like just make a mist fallen soldier division of the group rather than like trying to integrate them and getting everyone like happy just like just just keep them separate because people are arguing and fighting and it's just not work hey, um, real, real quick uh, uh, how cool is the name Mistfallen? that's a really good name there's that's a lot of cool. really good names in like mistborn in general just just based on how the planet is formed and the and the weather patterns like you have a name like ash weather set like ash weather is not a kind of name you would expect to see. And here we are. We have it. It's a thing. Um, so we had news from Luthadel. This is what he was talking about, where there's riots and pillaging of food stores there. And Penrod is requesting aid. And he's like, what the heck? Because they should have had plenty of food and things like that. Because Luthadel is in the center of uh their their region and it should have the best source of uh, food because it has the most sun and ash isn't really affecting it as much but yet here we are things are happening penrod's like help so that stings and then they're like 
Vin realizes they're sort of stuck because Penrod's having trouble at Luthadel. There's rioting in the streets. They have an army laying siege to uh, Fadric City, and it's like they need to take the city or they're basically done. And then she's trying to plead with the Mists, and the Mists are like, nope. Which is why uh, the Mists have broken up with Vin. At least that's how Dave described it. So there you go. Not as good of a summary as he would have given, because I read it a while ago, but there you go. Chapter 40. Chapter 41. Everyone is spikes. (laughs) It It seems like these guys only get together to watch executions. God Kelsier tells Spook to kill some dudes. Quellian has been saving allomancers. Some little girl cries and there's fire. Everyone but little girl and Spook get out. Ska are as bad as nobles. Alrien is as good as Breeze. Flame God Spook dramatically appears. Breeze and Al use crowd to distract Q. Q? That would be Quellian. Okay. Spook and Grill get away. And he actually spelled it Grill. Grill. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right. Is that it? That's it for 41. All right. So in this, the epigraph is talking about how the hemorrhagic spikes change people physically. Um, and I guess he meant people are made of spikes because uh, they talk about how based on um, how you could just spike anyone and, and basically. Oh, OK. OK. Uh, the, the epigraph talks about how Inquisitors, Kolos and uh, Chandra, they're all made the same way. It's spikes, but it's based on where you place the spikes that sort of can change what they do or, or how they appear and things like that. Um. So yeah, so and and it does mention that conjure are made from misrates, not humans. So it actually does call that out here in this epigraph. Um and it's it's sort of weird how it seems to dehumanize Kolos, whereas with human uh Chandra, it sort of humanizes them. So it's this weird little duality with the way spikes work. Uh but in this episode episode, in this chapter we have Sazed and Spook. Um as you sort of gathered, there was an execution. They throw the ten people in the, the building and set it on fire. That's the way Quillian rolls. Um, for those that have ancestors that are Alamancers and, and that don't agree with his regimen, sort of, a you know, tyrannical. Um, and then, you know, Spook goes to, to help them. And originally he was just going to help the little girl because that's who, that's what he promised to do. But then he's like, he's got to rescue everyone. So he does, he kills the soldiers that are guarding. Because th- there's like a an underground, like, entrance to get to the burning building, which is when they've been secreting out one of the Alamancers that are in the group to be executed. So they they will take one out and they'll burn the rest, the nine. Um, and here, he kills the guards, gets everyone out, but he's sort of trapped with the little girl in the burning building. Um, I think it collapses or something like that. So everyone else gets out but them. And then Spook gets awesome and breaks out. And then, of course, everyone witnesses this is Spook, like the, the survivor of the flames. There he is. And so Alarianne and Breeze like whip up the crowd because like it's happening now. Like, let's let's get the crowd behind them, behind the survivor of the flames. Uh, 
rather than for Quillion. So stuff's happening. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool scene. It seems expensive and not really efficient to burn down an entire building whenever you need to execute someone. And also you're doing it 10 at a time for some reason. Yeah, so, I was just like, thinking do you, do you that, always like, have to gather 10 people to do an execution? I don't think it's always 10. It's just that's what it turns out to be. I don't think the, the 10 is important. Um, but getting secret Alamancers is sort of his goal because he wants a, a group of, of Alamancers at his call. But he doesn't want to, you know, be obvious about it. He He wants a secret group because it's also against his rules. Because well, and... What I was thinking was, don't they say that it's specifically the noble mansions that he's burning? Yeah. Like, how That's many noble mansions were there? I, you you wouldn't think that there were that many. And also, That's they're like the biggest, nicest on. houses. My, my impression was always like, it was something like 5 or 10% of the population were nobles. Like, that was my impression. So you're going to have a handful of these houses. I don't think this is a thing that's been happening that often. It's just sort of coming to a head now. He's wrapping it up and killing off the last of the people that he needs to kill off. Well, I mean, it clearly that's, that's can't what I happen that often because they'll run out of houses. Right. And they're not going to build a new noble mansion just to burn down to kill someone. No, no. Quelia needs Quelia needs to work out a new way to murder people. Look, nobles, they need their summer home, and then they need their poolside home, and they need their reading home, and their nap home. You know, they get a lot of homes. They don't just have one. They have, like, a lot. He needs to put I mean, his science though? points toward learning new execution methods. He does. In all seriousness, these could be, like, actual estates, like, multiple houses, and they just choose one of them. Because they need one that has that, that secret entrance anyway. So they choose one of them, burn it down, but they still have like a couple more that's part of the estate. Like it could be something like that. Who knows? Either way, that's the way he does. And that now implies that he's got a secret entrance guy. Like there's a dude on his staff whose job is just like, hey, go check out these houses. Find me one with a secret entrance. You have until Tuesday. Yep. I want to know more about that guy. Yeah, I suspect it doesn't pay well. (laughs) <laughs> I want a short story about Quellian's secret entrance guy. But we can't predict the short fiction. We cannot. That was established in the last released episode. Thank you, Tori. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that was episode 47, and it's in the spoiler section, so go do that. It was a very good spoiler section. I'm very proud of it. Alright, chapter whatever the next one is. 42? 42! Chapter 42. Marsh is still watching and waiting. Ruin is looking for a thing. The thing Marsh sought at Saran Wrap? (laughs) A small pen can be as effective as a spike. Small like an earring? If you want to read the passage I posted in Discord, go ahead. I was planning to read it if I were doing the episode. So somebody look for that in the Discord. He wants us to read it now. Okay. I I mean, you can look for it while I finish these bullet points. There's only two more. 
no looking necessary. It's I'm I have it open. Okay, good. Two to three hundred bind points on a human. Marsh spikes Penrod. Okay, well, let me summarize first before we jump into the Dave theory that you're going to read. Um, this, is, of course, is a Marsh perspective. Uh, he's basically being all stealthy-like in Luthadel. Um, he talks. He, he, he thinks about how Inquisitors are made, so it's, we sort of get some, I guess, confirmation of information we already had there. Uh, but he did spike Penrod, and that, that's sort of important. And it's mentioned that he was spiked with something small. Uh, so you do, you you expect spikes because you see inquisitors. They're these giant things, but they don't need to be giant. They can actually be really small. In this case, for what Penrod was spiked with, I don't even think like it's it's uh well okay never mind. Uh, I don't want to say anything about that, but it's the the spike is small, and that's that's what Dave was talking about. Inquisitor um, spikes are what we would probably consider to be like railroad spikes. But they wouldn't right. consider them to be railroad spikes because they don't have railroads yet. Yep. Yeah. Um, they decide to leave the the spike in Penrod because it's actually like in his heart, I believe. And they're like, if they remove it, it, it Penrod's probably going to die, and it doesn't seem to be hurting him right now. So we're going to leave it there. That brings up something. Should yep. they get to? Uh, railroads like building building infrastructure like that would they then consider those spikes to be inquisitor spikes that have been repurposed for railroading i hope not that's sort of gruesome no just and just like as a, as a linguistic thing not not legi- not legitimately like reusing inquisitor spikes just linguistically i don't think so i think they're just going to consider them spikes and and that's it because if in era two, the talk about inquisitors, it's it's very like it's sort whoa, of mythological. Whoa, we are not in spoiler time right now. You were the one who brought up railroads, dude. And once this episode comes out, go back and listen to how I did it. We'll talk later. So kind of off topic, but do you guys want to hear about the time I had a haunted railroad spike? What? Yes. So when we were in grad school, uh, Matt used to, like, university parking was expensive. So Matt would park way off campus and he would walk like a mile to get to his classes and he would pass over a some railroad tracks. And so every now and then he would lay out pennies to get squashed or whatever. And, well, he found a railroad spike just on, on the side of the tracks, like, and and so he brought it home and we had it on a shelf as a decoration. Well, then later we moved house and uh, he had started his new job at this new location and I hadn't found one yet. So I was doing all the unpacking all by myself. And so I had spent a whole morning like unpacking his office stuff and all of the things that go by his computer, um, including this railroad spike. And then later I go downstairs and I'm unpacking uh, kitchen boxes and there is the railroad spike. And I'm like, how did it get here? I just saw this thing. It was upstairs. I know it was. And I ran upstairs and 
yeah, the other spike was there because there were two of them. No, it was yeah, it wasn't haunted. But I was really freaked out for a minute there. I feel very let down by this story now. Oh, I'm sorry. I was promised a haunted railroad spike, and then you ended it with, but it wasn't haunted. It was haunted for, like, five minutes. Right. Did you pull the mask off of the railroad spike's face and reveal that it was Old Man Peabody the whole time? And he could have got away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. Alright, so I think that's all I have for the summary of Chapter 42. I think we wanted to read a Dave theory. Alright, I can handle this. Uh, so, Dave theory begins now. Words from this point forward are Dave's and not mine. Why doesn't Vin seem to remember anything she learned while she was at the Well of Ascension? I'll assume that Epigraph Vin is future Vin, so present Vin doesn't necessarily know all the things we know about hemallergy, etc. However... There are still things she learned at the well, such as the nature of the power and how to use it. Read read from the heading from Chapter 2. Present Vin doesn't show any signs of knowing any of this, while Rashik... Rashik? How did we come down on his pronunciation? Rashik? Rashik. Rashik apparently retained the knowledge. Maybe she just hasn't had the time to reflect on it that Rashik has. What is Ruin looking for? And how can preservation hide it from him? Chapter 42 explains that in hemallergy, a small pin can be as effective as a spike. Small like an earring? Yeoman might have destroyed the metal plate with Lord Ruler's notes. He wouldn't want to leave the evidence that Lord Ruler was vulnerable in any way. So that's all one section, and then he has another theory that is a much longer section, so buckle in, I guess. Wait, do we want to wait until we wrap up the chapters before we read the second one? Uh, yeah. I guess. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we Let's just move. we just wanted that one because it was related to his bullet points. Right, right. Okay, chapter 43. Hemallergy is disgusting, but impressive. Valeland are sneaking into the ball. Yeoman's Mistborn is following them. Vin thinks everyone is a Mistborn. <laughs> Basically. Valeland were expected. Elland is too nervous to dance. Vin notices a Tenai and two smokers. One of the smokers is Slow Swift. Uh, I think he was wrong there. Wait, wait, what was it? He says one of the smokers is slow swift. Oh, yeah, he is mistaken. Vin Mist leads taken. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Vin leads the ladies onto the patio and knocks them out and tells slow swift's dudes to stash them and address and also Ellen is distracting people inside. Wow, that was a long bullet point. <laughs> Ellen puts his powers of annoyance to good use. <laughs> That's so true. I know so many people who have that power. Is that it? That, that's it for 43. All right. So the epigraph for this particular chapter talks about how hemallergy is like impressive in terms of an art, but it's also disgusting with how it's basically made and, and utilized. Well, not utilized, but how it's formed in the first place. So that's 
why his bullet point is as it is. Um, so, as was sort of mentioned in Dave's cliff notes, uh, Vin and Ellen attend the ball that is being thrown. Um, it's at the Canton of Resource. Uh, I believe Yeoman is throwing this one himself, isn't he? Because, uh, I don't know. Yes, I think so. Uh, so they mingle, but they're nervous because this time they have a goal, which is Vin's going to sneak away and try to actually just, she wants to get to the cache and basically read the note. And she, she believes there's going to be something useful in the cache because each of the caches that the Lord Roller has left has something important. So I think we had like water and we, we always have information about the, the metals. That's how they found out about Electrum. And they've always had like hints about what else there is. So they're hoping like this is sort of something that can help them against ruin. Um, cause this is the last cache. This is the, the last one in the list. So they're really hoping for something good here. Um, of course, Yeoman expected them to show up. So he has a couple alamancers around the, uh, the party and sort of keeping an eye on, on them. And so they, Vin is able to help with a little help from slow, slow, swift, uh, deal with the, I think it's a, a tin eye and a smoker that are following her around. That's probably what he meant. Uh, was mistaken with slow, slow, swift and basically, you know, makes them unconscious, hides them so that way she can go sneak away. Uh, meanwhile, Ellen decides to just be outrageous in the middle of the party and get everyone's attention. He challenges Yeoman into a duel who doesn't take it. He, th- he has an argument. I think he has a economical and philosophical argument with Yeoman and you know, they're, they're going back and forth and he's just basically trying to keep the attention. So Vin can sneak into the cash and that's what we have going on here. Okay. And uh chapter 44 is basically a continuation of that. Um, chapter 44. Epigraph Vin knows a lot of stuff that present Vin does not. Sneaky Vin. Vin finds the storage cache. Oops. <laughs> Tell me that's it. Uh, no, there's there's more. Th- okay. That's it for the Vin section. Okay. Ellen and Yeoman love to argue. Did I make a ballroom blitz joke in an actual ballroom yet? Uh... No, Dave, you didn't. Good on you. Wait, didn't he? He made a ballroom blitz joke during that assembly meeting in Well of Ascension. In the ma- the man in the back said, "Everyone attack." Oh, yeah. Okay. But but now we're in a ballroom. Uh, Ellen attacks Yeoman. Yeoman burns Atium. Ellen pieces out. And then after that. It was nice of King Yeoman to send a letter. Vin finds dot dot dot. Reen? Oh, man. That's it. All right. So, as you mentioned, this is a continuation. Uh, we have Vin. She finds the cash. She gets in. And his oops is that she gets locked into this cash. Um, so she gets in, but it's it's basically a trap. It was a trap. Um, cause, you know, he was expecting him. Uh, so Ellen up above debating with Yeoman. Um, eventually one of the, the spies sort of that was knocked unconscious from Vin is woken up and basically alerts that, you know, Vin 
escaped. So Ellen's like, we got to see if Yeoman is the Mistborn that's been like that, that Vin has noticed around. So he, he tries to stab Yeoman, but Yeoman burns ATM. Um, so luckily Ellen can counter that using Electrum, but still, you know, he burned ATM, which was interesting. Um, so I th- Ellen escapes, uh, and goes back to camp, hoping that Vin will, will get there, but she is, she's trapped in the cache. And while there, she sees Reen. And that's actually where the chapter ends. Reen, of course, for those of you who don't quite remember, is Vin's brother. And not just the chapter ending, but the, that whole um, section of the book, whatever part that was. Part three. That is the yeah. end of part three. End of part three. All right. So, Dave Theories, part two. Vin might not be a Mistborn. Prose. There's very little doubt that her earring has hemolurgical power. Uh, in parentheses, I also think the power is from Lord Ruler, but that's just a guess. End parentheses. The prophecy about the Hero of Ages relinquishing power might refer to Vin giving up her allomancy. There are two major instances where Vin didn't have her earring. Second, when fighting the Lord Ruler, but the Miss granted her power instead. First, when she had been captured earlier that night. I'm fuzzy on the details, but I think the sequence goes like this. Inquisitors capture Vin, force her to burn aluminum, or aluminium for our across-the-pond friends, then knock her out. She wakes up with no earring, but no medals anyway. When she recovers her things, she gets both the earring and her backup medals at the same time. Cons. There may be other instances where Vin used earringless allomancy that I've forgotten. Hemallergy is very precise. Mama Vin just kind of shoved the earring on Vin. Hemallergical spikes typically only give one power. Small hemallergical vessels don't hold a charge for very long. Parentheses. Read the last sentence of the excerpt I posted above. What excerpt? I think he's talking about the one from small like an earring. Uh, in hemallergy, a small pin can be as effective as a spike, small like an earring. No, no, I... What? What didn't I do? I'm I'm trying to... Hold on. Okay, here it is. Uh, It is from the epigraph of chapter 42. A spike can only hold so much of a hemallergic charge, so they could not create spikes that granted infinite strength, no matter how many people those spikes killed and drew power from. However, did the repeated reuse of spikes perhaps bring more humanity to the colossus they made? They made. Uh, it's just the first part, not the second set. Gotcha. But I think he's referring to that. Okay, back to Dave's stuff. Possibly centuries pass between Lord Ruler's impalement and Vin getting the earring. Parentheses, there may be a small charge either because Lord Ruler was very powerful or because he was impaled by a large polearm that was later fashioned into an earring, end parentheses. A small, discharged, haphazardly placed hemallergy spike might grant a small ability like piercing copper clouds, but it's doubtful that it would grant full misborn ability. Conclusion! Vin is probably a for-reals misborn, but I'm keeping this idea in mind moving forward. Nice. End of Dave Theory. This hey, can I can I just jump in here real quick? And folks listening at home, Dave has his own channel in our Discord where he posts 
theories like this. They're all amazing. And if you want to read them, you all you got to do is join our Discord, which you should totally do. There's a bunch of other stuff, but the Dave Theories channel is definitely like a worthwhile portion of this. So join our Discord. It's definitely one of my favorite channels on our Discord, but we, we do have a lot of good channels. We have the good things where the stuff that we talk about and our good things you frequently are posted there. Dave makes some art. That's usually there. Um, and of course, we have a spoiler discussion for those of us who have read all of the Cosmere and like to discuss spoilers. But there's also spoiler free for those of you reading it for the first time, like Dave, who only want to discuss things up to the point that you are uh, in whatever episode that you're currently listening to. In this case, it would be this one. And don't forget the Animal Picks channel where we post pics of animals. <laughs> I have, as I as I said earlier in the episode, a new kitten, and I have been posting some pics of him because he is adorable. Yay. And Tori has oh so many animals living in her house that all get pictures posted on on our animal pics page. Craig is a huge slacker, and you should well, okay. taunt him hey. relentlessly for not no. posting pics I of his pets. I have posted some. Scroll up far enough. And you will see my kittens. But I, I'm i not the one who takes pictures of my animals. Uh, that would be my wife. So I would have to borrow her phone. Or, even better, make her join the Discord and post the pictures. Which I should do. So, join A, join our Discord. And B, use it to harass Craig until he posts cat pictures. Alright, do we have anything else relevant to these chapters, or should we head over to Spoiler Town? I think it's spoiler time. Yeah, spoiler time. Alright. It's hard when we don't have Dave to kick off, so bye, theoretical Fake Dave, Dave. go away. And we're in Spoiler Town. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. So, oh man, there's so much I want to talk about, because the Dave theories are juicy. So let's... I want to start with the one you just read about Vin might not be a misborn. And I have to say, I'm glad he's thinking about Spikes this way. Um, he still is under the assumption that the Lord Ruler must be the one who is Spike. And he actually mentions Mama Vin in his uh, theory. So, so he remembers she exists, but he doesn't think about Vin's sister, who was the one who was killed, also spiked uh, with the, with the, well, she made from the spike, or sorry, the spike is made from Vin's sister, and she was killed. And more than likely, she was a, a copper, uh, a bronze misting, which is why. Well, she could have been a mistborn as well, and just bronze was the one that was stolen. Um, but he does at least point out that the hemolytic spikes typically only have one power. As far as we know, that seems to be the case. That one spike per whatever power that you're trying to steal. Uh, that appears to be the case, but a lot of the, the theory when it comes to spikes, it's also rough when you get into error two. People start realizing they didn't know as much as they... I mean, that's always the case when you're reading any of this, which is 
people don't know as much as they believe. There's always something new. There's 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 always more stuff. So you just got to do secret stuff sometimes. <laughs> yes. Uh but yeah, so so it's nice that Dave is thinking about it. So he's very aware of the earring. So props to that. Um I like that he's thinking about like hey, maybe she doesn't she's not actually a misborn and she just gets these powers. Because she has a spike, but that's not the case. I'm not sure if we ever explicitly, because especially in Mistborn, the first book, it's very unclear when Vin is wearing the earring or when she's not. Kelsier does mention she should wear the earring because she can use it as a weapon at some point. But uh, I, I believe she's done stuff without the earring, and she didn't really wear it until Kelsier mentioned she should wear it. I was paying more attention during my latest reread of just trying to spot, like, earring versus no earring, and there really isn't, like, a good ongoing count of of whether she's wearing it or not. Like, Yeah. Like, there are a few specific moments where, like, she explicitly takes it off, but beyond that, it's... there's nothing. It's... Generally, I think it's just assumed that she is wearing the earring unless she, unless it's one of those specific no earring scenes. And we all remember those because they're very big, important scenes. They are. And just as a reminder, the mist, which is basically preservation's body, um, can't go into Vin because she's wearing the earring, which is of ruin. So... That's why the big scenes are pretty important because the earring is removed in some way and she's able to draw on the mist, as she calls it. Because um, she's supposed to be the next vessel of... She was chosen to be the next vessel of preservation by preservation himself. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad he's paying attention to it. I think the payoff's going to be great when... Marsh finally rips it out of her earring because that's when we sort of realize, oh, it was the earring. And if you're not theorizing like Dave, which can happen, like he's reading three, four chapters each each week. So he can think about these things when you're reading it, especially as we get closer to the end of the book. You just sort of want to devour the book. So uh, I can understand like sort of missing these things. So you don't have time to think about it because you're too busy enjoying the book. Uh, but he's He's able to to think about it, and it's great that he's picking up on these hints. Uh, when is it revealed that besides spiked people, Ruin can talk to the mentally ill? Do you do either of you remember? I thought that was a Marsh chapter. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. Cause... I don't fully remember. I thought it was from Marsh perspective, but I could be mistaken. Because I feel like it that's the be. big piece of this that Dave is missing. Yes, because Vin's mother wasn't spiked as far as we know, but she was insane. Um, it could also be Reen mentions it, because that as we as we know in Spoiler Town that Reen is actually ruined, just like Fake Kelsier in Spook's Head is also ruined because they're all spiked, which Dave already figured out. Which is good. He's he's paying attention. He's picking up the clues. Although, um, by the time Reen shows up, I feel like you're supposed to have figured out that this is ruin. Yeah. Uh, Dave's earlier 
thought, and I love this. I love this. He still believes epigraph. The epigraphs are written by Vin. We are 40 plus chapters in, and he still thinks Vin is writing these epigraphs. He did not pick up on the say Zed mannerisms. Um, so he's all in with Vin wrote this, and I love it because he's going to be first. He's, he's confused because he's like, shouldn't she know this? When, when did she touch the power? It would be at the well. Um, of course, she didn't get any of this information because she released the power. She didn't, she didn't, uh, use it or absorb it like the Lord Ruler did. Um, and like Seiza does later on when he picks up both shards, he actually gets this information about the, the overall Cosmere and, and lots of other stuff. Hey, I've got a, so, uh, I've got a thought that just occurred to me. Uh, yeah. so Ruin was appearing to spook as Kelsier. Yep. But then, according to Secret History, after everything goes bad and then goes good again, actual Kelsier shows up to spook as Kelsier. Yep. Absolutely. What on earth does Kelsier have to do at that point to prove that he's actually him and get Spook to trust him? Because I feel like that's a hard sell. I think it's because he... So, keep in mind, Ruin doesn't act like... Okay, so we see it as Kelsier, but you can see the information, the the stuff he wants Spook to do, the way he's saying, like, you should kill these people. It's sort of like, quote-unquote, God in Zane's head. Uh, He talks more like that because that's just the way Ruin is. Kelsier, the way he talks, his mannerisms, very particular. And I think just acting like... Because I distinctly remember... When Kelsier shows up to spook way later after he's the Lord Mistborn, there he sort of groans like, oh, God, like he's back. Like, you know, it's he knows it's Kelsier at that point rather than it could secretly be Rowan. So I. I think it's more that he knows it's not he's not spiked anymore because he removed the spike and it acts it's he's more Kelsier. He's not trying to. To get him to do something that he's not. So. Still just like putting myself in Spook's shoes in those circumstances. That's really going to be a tough one for me to go along with. Like never, never mind that, you know, I, I have just had a conversation with my buddy Sazed who has just become two gods and who has explained all of this to me. And now I'm a Mistborn and also the Emperor and all of that. Just, I got some trust issues built up at this point, and right. I just, I want, I'm wondering how that conversation went, because I feel like it would be entertaining. I mean, Sazed, well, because I think Kelsier didn't really, <laughs> I'm remembering Secret History, where Kelsier tried to get Sazed to help him not be a cognitive shadow, essentially. At that point, and says is like, nope, I have no idea how to help you. And Kelsier's like, man, you're still such a bad liar. Well, he thinks he's a, he's still a really bad liar. Um, it's interesting that Seiza didn't really want Kelsier to be, I, I would say, alive again. Um, well, that goes. So I'm not sure if Seiza would have his... helped. Okay, so that goes against number one. Basically, every religious teaching that he has very recently absorbed into his consciousness. Number two. Sure, but he was going to bring back Vin and Elend. 
who had very recently died and as a direct result of, like, Ruin's actions. Sure, sure. But number two, that also goes against both Shardic intents that he now holds. Like, okay. it's, it's explicitly counter to ruining, and yes. preservation would keep him as a cognitive shadow if, if you're leaning into that, but it does yeah. not go with either bringing him back. Okay. And yeah, but- religions generally aren't super big on the whole was dead is now alive thing. I can think of one specific counterexample real world, but let's not go into that. At the point that Sazed first picks up the shards, though, he's not he has not fully embraced their intents. So he's doing a lot of things that he just himself would do. So it'd definitely be more how he feels about it. Like we mentioned, he was willing to bring back Vin and Ellen. So maybe he would have been willing to bring back Kelsier because that is his friend. Uh, although he probably would rather Tindwill if if anyone from the past would be brought back. Well, and um, at, the, at that point, Kelsier had been dead had for like four years, now. though. Sure. Well, so yeah, they, they, they've been dead. I feel like there's another reason, though, that he knew Kelsier could cause trouble. Well, he's got, like, the combination of Ruin and Preservation's ability to see into the future, which right. Preservation's is slightly better than Ruin's, but they're both kind of bad at it. Lightly. No, Preservation's amazing at it. What are you talking about? Kelsier has a conversation with Preservation about seeing into the future, and Preservation's all like, I did not see you killing yourself. That was a surprise. I can see the future, but it's all cloudy, and I got a guess. Well, okay, okay. I think it's more at that point, uh, Preservation's pretty weak um, when he actually discusses it. And I think in general, like, Preservation's good at looking at the future, but he also did a lot of the future looking way back when he first formulated this plan to ultimately uh, go say get rid of Ruin. Secret history. It's a conversation very near the beginning. Yes, I, I mean, the, by that point, preservation is weaker. What my point? My point is that maybe preservation is good at big picture stuff rather than individuals and being able to predict that. And, and maybe that's just in general, when you look to the future, like that sort of thing, um, it's very hard to determine individuals because they do have choices that can be made and things can happen. But general big picture stuff, easy to look at. That could just be the way future looking. Look. Although I would say someone like cultivation is probably better at it. Now I think about it. Uh, cultivation is probably among the best of of the shards that we've actually like seen and interacted with, um, yeah, endowment actually has a little bit of future vision as an explicit oh, thing yeah, that happens. She, she does do a lot of visions for the returned. Like they actually see, as far as we know, they see visions of the future. I would guess that ambition had really good future vision, but ambition is gone long before we ever get to see or hear anything from him or her. Doesn't sound like they had good vision then. Well, they saw themselves getting beat up. There's also a shard that just wants to survive. They might have really good future vision. It's not the survival shard. It just was described by Brandon in a word of Brandon as 
that just wants to survive. And that seems like the sort of shard that Kelsier should go pick up. I know, right? He should have a shard of his own. And I then... think that's an extremely bad idea that I know. never happen. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Because, um, I, again, I would like to point out that within the the context of the Mistborn series, Kelsier is a good guy. Within the larger context of just general ethics, Kelsier is a monster. Yep. Oh my gosh, he's going to put a crew together of cognitive shadows. It's going to be a thieving <laughs> crew. They're going to have this heist going on to steal the shard. I would read that. He's a brutal mass murderer. He is. He is. But he does it with style. I mean, he did help the people of the South Pole. And technically, I think he also qualifies as a serial killer because he was he was murdering he was people nobles. Yeah. because they fit a profile. He, yeah, that's, yeah. I didn't really think about it that way before, but yeah, he's basically a serial killer. So um, there we go. I think we just wrote the plot of Dexter 2. So I did want to talk about Era 2 briefly. Uh, so I'm currently rereading Era 2. Uh, I'm on the middle of the second book, uh, Shadows of Self. And I'm at the point where Milan has popped up again. And we do get a lot more information in the second book of Era 2 versus the first book. We actually get a conversation with Seized, so we get to hear Harmony's perspective. He talks a little bit about the intents that he holds, and you sort of get an idea. You get a better view of his perspective um, and information. And, of course, you get a little bit of information from Milan, but she's sort of... she's. She describes herself as a kid in terms of Chandra, so she's sort of like a teenager a little bit. Um, as Wasn't much information like as you get out. Generation. She's a seventh generation, I believe. I thought. Uh, let me if look. Only it up there were we... some way to look this up. I'm typing it in now. Like some kind of. I'm Wiki. also seven. That, or... yes. she, she is seventh. She's a seventh gen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so uh, anyway, um, uh, where was I going? So so I read something interesting. I forget because we were just talking about it and it was something that popped up. I'm like, oh, I should mention this. And now (sighs) drawing a blank. I do love the the references in Era 2, though, to to the mythology of what has happened in the past. And uh, I did mention they, they talk. They don't know about hemallergy, um, in least until we get a book written by Spook where he discusses hemallergy. So uh, Seiza didn't really want that information out there because of how disgusting the art is. And he's mentioned this in the epigraph that it's a disgusting but impressive art. And and Spook's sort of like, you know, I should write this down just in case because you know what? If they had this information from the beginning, they might have avoided a lot of the problems that we have in the in the second. Well, in the third book, especially like if they actually knew how hemolarity worked rather than trying to figure it out as it happens. They got lucky in a lot of instances, like when Spook figures it out and removes the spike from himself. So he's like, I should get this information out there. Now, the book was held by Marsh who, again, has different opinions than Seizad slash Harmony 
about what this is and eventually gives it to Wax and uh, Marissi. So they get information about hemallergy. They, because that's sort of the plot of the second book that they're chasing after Chandra, who went crazy, is at least is, that's what it's described as. And um, yeah, they, they they know a bit about hemallergy, but we also get a bit more information about Chandra, and they didn't know at the time that Chandra could even use allomancy or furcamine because it was assumed that they were given these spikes. But they didn't necessarily get they they would get these blessings, which might act like pewter or something like it, but not really. And here it's like they can actually use a power. They can actually, you know, be a coin shot or something. Oh, and we get the fun tidbit that in order to keep a hemolytic charge uh, as powerful as possible in a spike, you just keep it in a bucket of blood, you know. Yeah, you start in blood. A, a good old household, common household item, bucket of blood. <laughs> you keep it in the cupboard next to the vinegar and the baking soda. So that actually might be, number one, uh, when you actually make a spike, you're pushing it through the heart of the person you're making it from, uh, which, of course, is filled with blood. And that also might be why the charge is so potent. If you do it right then and there, uh, Inquisitors, for those of you who I don't I don't know why you would think about this, but they're the body that you're spiking is put underneath the body that you're taking the spike of and you push it through their body right through blood all the time. Full charge, mostly. And they have like special tables set up so that they can slide the victim's heart like slide the victims around so their heart is over the exact spot. and then... It's pretty disgusting. You yeah. know, there's a few times in Sanderson's books that stuff is really disgusting. That's one of them. And the the freaking henchman in Warbreaker that we're going to get to as well, that's disgusting. He, like, tortures his pets and people. And speaking of psychopaths, and we're going to get to that next. That's the next book. All right. I really like the book, but man, that is disgusting. The Inquisitor Table. Did they build that themselves, or did they contract that out? Oh, God. Has clubs made an Inquisitor Table? I don't think so. Like, huh, this is a weird table. Is it for Masuses? Nope. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't know what the table was for. It I'm gonna go. I'm table. gonna go out here and say that clubs, in fact, did make at least one Inquisitor table, and it was the best dang Inquisitor table that the Inquisitors ever saw. Oh yeah, gorgeous! Like scroll work and and like a really good you know finish on it. Yeah, I'm going to believe that clubs made at least one Inquisitor table. Oh wait, hang on. They couldn't have seen it because they don't have eyes. Well, oh, that's because it's wood. But what if it's gilded with silver? Oh, oh. <laughs> Um. Anyway, one of the other things that's really neat, I love the mention of soothing and riding. Well, soothing parlors in particular in Era 2. Like, I love the 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 changes. Not, I wouldn't say changes, but how Allomancy is actually used and incorporated in the world. Just the, okay. When we're talking good world building, 
the, the, this is the stuff. Like the fact that the magic system in this case, Alamancy and Furukami, actually plays a part in how society develops. So we have soothing stations instead of, you know, uh, brothels, although they probably exist as well. But we have soothing parlors. And I had, sorry, go ahead. I guess it's like opium dens, but go on. Okay, so I had a thought earlier today that there needs to be a scene in Era 3 where a character who has iron uh, alamancy uh is on a skateboard and pulls themselves behind a car. <laughs> no, back to the future. That needs yeah. to be a thing. I need that yeah. to be. A, it doesn't have to be an important character. You can you can just like give us a paragraph of that and then move on. But I need that to be in one of the era three books. You know, I for a moment I thought you were gonna say something weird like you have a metal plate below you and you pull on it and it sort of makes you fly because that's not quite how flight would work. Um, and like that, that would just be weird. And I don't think physics works that way. But sketching or whatever it's called. Sketching. Yeah. Sketching. That's the one. Nice. Yes, please. So, so Brandon, who I'm certain by the time Era 3 comes out, will have become a huge fan of our podcast and my new best friend, <laughs> and invite me to come live at his house and give us all uh, early copies of all of these books so that we can read them and review them for him. Uh, yes, please put a sketching scene in Mistborn Era 3. Um, so, so the thought I had, going back uh, to Era 2 for a moment, uh, is preservation and ruin themselves, the two shards which he is now combined, and he describes himself as neutrality. Like, that's just what he is when you put together preservation and ruin. They sort of just balance each other out. But my problem... So so together, they were able to make the world and life. Like, just working together, they were able to do that. And of course, preservation, putting a little more of himself into humanity, gave them sentience. Um, so they are able to create together, which leads me to believe that Harmony could also create new things as well, given that they were able to do that. But in general, when you put together preservation and ruin, you don't have growth like that. That doesn't that's not part of the equation. You can preserve something or you can change it slash ruin it. So I feel like Harmony needs a dose of like cultivation in there like something that could give him a way to grow and develop because he sort of laments that he gave everyone of the basin that people live in in era two he gave them everything they needed and therefore they didn't strive to develop technologically at least not until recently they didn't come up with radio they didn't they didn't even look at the sky like forget that they could be sailing they could be soaring through the air none of that they don't need to do that. And he sort of laments that. So it makes me wonder, and it sort of makes me worried about what the actual Harmony Shard will end up being when its full intent is realized. Because I think there's still a lot of Seized there now, but as time passes, we're just going to get the Harmony intent. I just want to put out what would that actually mean? yet again that 
I don't think Sazed is making it through all four eras. I think someone else is getting the Harmony Shard. You think he's just a placeholder? Uh, a temporary No, I, I think it's important that he had the two shards, but he still considers them two shards that work against each other, and someone else needs to take it up who then considers it one shard so they can actually, you know, use it. So I'm going to make a theory. I'm going to... Th- if if this is true, and I, I could maybe see that being the case, but I'm not inter- entirely convinced that's going to be the case. But if it's the case, I believe Era 3 would be where Sazed dies. End of Era 3, likely. Like, that's that's the sure, finale sure. of of Era 3. And not in Era 2, if only because that wasn't part of the original plan. These are just extra bonus books. Right. Um, that's sort of why I'm going with it. I, I'm not convinced that's true, though. I think Sazed's in for the long haul. But things are definitely happening, and he's under attack in some way. Probably from autonomy. Whatever. Yeah. Trell, who is apparently three different people. One of the According avatars. to the thing you posted. Um, right. So, oh, shoot, there was, there was something else, too. And now I can't remember. Why do I just keep forgetting? Because we get off on tangents. Tori. What else? What There's else do you have? Craig has talked enough. Theory. Craig is done talking. <laughs> Never. I don't have anything else. Never. Sigh. Can't it is with a up. heavy heart that I allow Craig to continue talking. Then. Or, I might be... or we could end it because we have been at it for over an hour. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm, I might be done. I can't. There was one more thing that I read on a recent theory from. Uh, shoutouts to the. Cosmere subreddit where uh, people like to post some theories and every now and then I'll read an interesting one and be like hey that's a neat perspective on this thing that has happened so uh yeah um I had a theory about the unmade that I have posted about on our discord but I didn't really have it well thought out and I would like to get it I guess put together better before I talk about it on here for real, but I've got an unmade theory that I would like to share eventually. Okay. I need to get it I also, together and I do, I do have a theory, better. and I'm looking forward to this when we get to... Oh, it's going to be forever, probably until Oathbringer, but about how perpendicularities, like what they are and how they work. So I'm looking forward, I'm, I'm looking forward to the end of this book because it means that we can talk to Dave about a lot more stuff. It's true. We sort of get the reveal more Cosmere related information to him. Yeah, he can he can basically learn a lot more about the, like the underlying mechanics at that point. We'll just avoid specific book spoilers. I'll let you take the lead because you're pretty good at not spoiling things. Well, I mean, he'll have he'll have the building blocks. Like, I kind of consider the the Scadrial books to be sort of your your intro level classes on on various concepts in the Cosmere, and then your Stormlight books are the advanced level classes on on those same concepts. Okay, I think that's pretty fair. I did remember the thing I wanted to discuss, by the way, uh, and it was ahead. not a theory; it was a word of Brandon. Because he, he was talking about how he created 
uh, the Scadriel and the Mistborn world. And when he was originally creating the, these stories, he wanted an Earth analog. He wanted something that went through not not the same history as Earth, but the same sort of technological progress, which is why you see in Era 2, you see cars surplanting the carriages. You have railroads, steam power. They don't develop everything at quite the same pace because, again, based on where they are, and I love that Brandon's paying attention to this sort of thing, uh, based on you know what's around their area and what reason they have to explore the world, they focus on different things. So we have railroads because it's easy to transport metals and goods. Um, but we don't have air travel because there's no reason for them to travel through the air just yet. So uh, he he wanted an Earth analog so that way he could say, okay, this is roughly the Old West. So this is the 19th century Earth in terms of technological progress, give or take. And same thing when we get to Era 3, it's been mentioned it's like 1980s. So we're we're getting like, just before the big internet revolution and the connectivity we have now. So it's like right before that. So that'll be fun. But yeah, that's, that's sort of what he was focusing on. And we also have a a space age one. It's supposed to mimic our earth. Uh, So it's very similar to that. We don't have weird bugs and things like that. Like we do in stormlight archives. Like it's a very much like they have giraffes. It's actually mentioned giraffes. They have cats. Basically, if it's on earth, it's probably a Mistborn. It's the most Earth-related uh, Cosmere book. In order for Sazed to have a touchstone of where they should be technologically, that means there has to be a planet in the Cosmere that Sazed could learn about that yeah. has already advanced technologically, and like he has a sense of like what rate, like how long it's supposed to be between you develop this to you develop this, which then makes me think that maybe not currently, but at some point in the past, Yolan was technologically advanced beyond yeah. us. Currently, I think on that's Earth. the. I think that's mentioned because when he has talked about which of the the worlds is the most advanced. Scadrill's probably going to be one of the first ones to actually have space travel. And that's basically because of Harmony. It's 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 the shard itself. Um, it lends itself to allowing that. It would have been it would have been Autonomy's world, because they're actually very advanced if you look at the dark side. Um, but she also likes them to be contained, like she's very con- I, I I consider it controlling, I guess. Um, so they are not really given to leaving their world and it, and exploring and advancing. And of course, we have problems uh, in the Elantris world because they don't really have a shard guiding them. They just have a power and it makes it very hard for them to world hop and actually know that there's other stuff out there. And I got there's the sense of- that the Elantrians themselves, uh, A have, like, the single most powerful magic system on that planet, probably. And yeah. B, pre-Riode, were a bunch of jerks. Yes. Um, I will also point out that in Scadriel, uh, because of how easy it was to get through the pits of Hatson, at least until Kelsier went Super Saiyan into it, 
Um, it th- so they have a lot of world like it's very easy to hop to and from that world. So they would have been exposed to other people much more readily. Uh, we're seeing that in Stormlight Archives, but I think it's because there's important stuff happening there, so people want to go there. But in terms of ease of access, Skadriel is like one of the easiest to get to for world hoppers. Oh, and they had before. some kind of economy going on with like trade and and I could see how information gets passed along too. We don't know where Harmony's perpendicularity is yet, but we're it's it's somewhere. Before the Voidbringers took over Shadesmar on Roshar, like you you had access to the to the pool in uh, the Horn Eater Peaks pretty easily. Yeah. Right. But yeah, schedule is one of the, the easiest to access, which is another reason why they would actually want to explore space because they know there's other people out there. And then you can, I would guess that endowments is probably either somewhere in that bay or in the jungles nearby. So yeah. that one, that one shouldn't be too tough either. No, it's just it's it's just a combination. I mean, this is just something he said before. It was the ease of access plus the economy they had. Um, they, there was some kind of trading going along. People would actually world hop to Scadrill, probably because of metals, but who knows? All right, I think I think we're done. I'm I'm definitely done. I would like some yep. dinner. So, yeah, I'm dead. sounds great. All right, goodbye, internet. Thanks for listening. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.